Marini's Media. Totally football show. Looking ahead to a season that will be the most crowded ever and also the least crowded ever. Today, bold predictions ahoy at Anfield. Will the most successful pool boys outside of your dad's private collection strike lucky again across town? Are the Toffees back on Quality Street? Plus, outside the Premier League, as Messi stays for one last season, could this be Barcelona's Michael Jordan last dance scenario or a real basket case? All this and a bit of Nations League 2 in this totally football show in association with Paddy Power. Striding belatedly back into totally a week late after my dad realised we don't have a legal leg to stand on. It's me, listener, hello. And I'm enthusiastic, no wonder, because on this Monday the 7th of September, we have for you here, author and journalist Nick Miller. Hello, James. That's you, Nick. Author and journalist Daniel Story. Hi, James. Good to see you, Daniel. And international TV celebrity Natalie Jedra of ESPN Brazil. Just international, not the celebrity. Hi, James. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Natalie. You haven't written a book, have you? No, not yet, but uh, it's it's in my plans. Okay, you should. You yes. should. Yeah, your extraordinary career, you know, trajectory. <laughs> uh, any, anyway, more of that another time when you you know put pen to paper. Brilliant. Yes. Lovely to have you all with us. Are you all excited? Pumped. Daniel. Dan, Dan's very yeah. excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can feel the excitement. Then come on. <laughs> It says here a new season starts this Saturday. Can you confirm? What do you know of this breaking story? <laughs> well, I'm I'm gonna be at Craven Cottage, so I'm very excited to. Oh. This is gonna be my first match, and then I'm gonna see uh, Spurs Everton. Gonna work on this match, uh, which will be good as well. There's a lot to look forward, uh, especially uh, in the Everton side. Uh, with the signings, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But yeah, I've missed the Premier League. I know, I know the the, the break was just uh, was shorter than usual, of course. But yeah, long enough for me to miss it. Mm. Beyond the opening day's fixtures, what what in broad terms are you particularly looking forward to seeing, Nick? Are there any signings that you're itching to to see completed? Well, uh, Thiago at um, Liverpool, perhaps. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that at some stage. Uh, signings that have already been completed. Um, Hakim Ziyech, really looking forward to seeing him in Chelsea's kind of all-singing, all-scoring, no-defending team. Um, and Abere Eze at uh, Crystal Palace, which um, I think everyone's everyone's very excited about. If he can link up well with Wilfried Zaha, who presumably no one is going to buy uh, if he even knows what's out. Um, so, yeah. That's all, right. it's all. It's all very exciting. Certainly, is. Ed Quoth Raven says, "Will there be a better bit of business this transfer window than Palace signing Daniel Story to write for their match day <laughs> programmes?" Daniel, what's this? That's a lovely stitch up. Uh, yeah, I am doing a, an opposition analysis thing, which is weird because I'm working for Palace, but they are the only team that I won't write about through the whole season. Yeah, I see. All right. Well, we'll, we'll talk about Palace and teams at that end. Uh, in Thursday's uh, second half of the preview show, we'll also have Alvaro Romeo on a little bit later on to talk about the big story in football, Messi's decision to stick around at uh, the camp now because uh, the only way to leave is either to get someone to pay the 700 million euros or to take 
the club he loves to court. And he says neither of those is, is an option. More from Alvaro to come. Uh, also big news on, on players moving, not moving, people being un, unhappy. What about the West Ham business with uh, Grady Diangana? We're going to do West Ham in depth, of course, in Thursday's bottom half special. But Nick, you volunteered to drop your H's and explain a little bit of what all the trouble and strife is about. Right? Would you like me to be? A, do you want me to be a geezer for this section, James? I mean, it's up to you, Nick. Not for me. When, to... when am I not? Well, it's yeah. It's just a um, uh, as I think Daniel might argue in isolation. This could be actually quite a good. A bit of business. They get rid of a uh, fringe player for a reasonable amount of money, and if they use it to buy someone like James Tarkovsky to um, sort out the defence a little bit, then you could very easily defend it. But it's just the sort of it seems to be a symbol of a lot of things that are, are kind of wrong at West Ham in that he is this young, quite exciting player is the only one they can actually shift to raise a bit of money when they have players like, you know, Lanzini and Philippe Anderson who are expensive and either permanently injured or not that good and no one else wants them um and i don't know it just seems like west west ham one of those teams where they're not going to finish probably not going to finish higher than eighth probably not going to win a cup so the two ways that you have to be interesting or exciting is to have a lot of good young players or to play really exciting football or ideally both but as it is they're selling off their young players and they've got david Moyes as a manager so you know, there isn't a huge amount to get enthused about and um, it's obviously kicked off something rotten there. Right. No, the fans aren't enthused and neither is the club's captain, Mark Noble, who tweets, as captain of this football club, I'm gutted, angry and sad that Grady's left. Great kid with a great future. It doesn't sound like a good way to start the season. Well, no, I mean, it, you can't really get a, more of a company man in the Premier League than Mark Noble and to annoy him before you've even started the season is quite, you know, quite impressive going, really. I understand the financial aspect of this whole story, but there are a few aspects that you can't explain only with the financial aspect, you know, like uh, he came from the academy. So it's something that uh, the fans really value. Uh, he has a strong relation with the club. He said that it was a hard decision. It was weird for him uh, because he spent t 10 years in, in West Ham. The captain likes you this much to, to make a public statement. So I understand that financially it can be interesting for the club. Not entirely because he's going to gain uh, market value as well, uh, but I've, I'm not sure how much the, the financial side could explain this decision for West Ham, honestly. Daniel, are you frowning in a way like you want to pile on the misery or not? <laughs> no, no, not really. I, I, I was just surprised that this was the final nail in the coffin um, in that there was the huge stadium fiasco, which I know brought, um, you know, significant outcry from supporters. They've appointed David Moyes for the, for the second time, knowing the style of football that he plays and the kind of antithesis of this maybe mythical West Ham way. I was, I was just surprised that selling a, a player who's only started six games for them for potentially nearly 20 million was the was the straw that broke the camel's back I thought there were probably bigger issues than that but maybe this is just a a kind of a microcosm of those issues rather than the biggest one of them all right well we'll get actual geezer and uh, West Ham fan Benji Lanyardo on Thursday's show and ask him uh, how his back is feeling and how many more straws he can take. Right now, it's time to start making some bold and convincing sounding calls about the season ahead uh, with some top half talk. 
You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see their unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Thanks, Ben. All right, then. Who's going to be top? Who's going to be flop? Or could the compressed schedule and general air of chaos going into this unusual season see some unfancied outfit do a Leicester? I'm not Leicester themselves, obviously, but some other team. Uh, Let's find out from the panel. First off, we had a bit of a chat at the end of the season. And I remember at the time, Nick and Daniel, you had uh, thoughts that it was going to be City's title. And Natalie, you were quite strong on Man United. Does still nobody see Liverpool repeating? I don't think so, if only because they've been sort of so intense for two years and, you know, they've got nearly 100 points in that time. And the the, the starting eleven is pretty much the same as, as it has been for the last two years. Um, that I just can't see them producing the same. Because it, it certainly before lockdown, pretty much everything went right for them. And, you know, this isn't to say that they, obviously not to say that they were lucky, but it's difficult to see that happening again. And it's also quite difficult to see City being as kind of brittle as they were at, again at some point, as they were at some points last season. So that's the theory anyway. But uh, uh, as you said, the um, the sort of chaotic nature of it may mean that all that kind of logic completely goes out the window. Yeah, I think the psychology of it is is fascinating, actually, that, that you know, Klopp, everything was geared in this first stage of Liverpool for Klopp taking them back to where they you know in brackets believe they belong and I don't think anyone really in in October 2015 could have predicted that he would have them as as European and Premier League champions within five years Um, I'm not necessarily sure that was what it was about it was about kind of bringing them back to the party not having them hosting it and that creates a really interesting psychological uh, demand on them now because they've always had this carrot you know they had getting into the top four and then winning the Champions League and then or atoning for the Champions League final loss then winning that then atoning for finishing close home behind Manchester City and this is the first time that they don't have that carrot and it will be really interesting how how Klopp manages his teams is all about those carrots and that kind of personal motivation and it will be, will be fascinating to see how he, he deals without that and without as it stands having freshened up the squad particularly. Yeah, and I think we can look at what happened to City, for example, in the past few seasons, uh, in the past three seasons or so. Uh, they they reached their peak uh, in two seasons, not only for winning the Premier League, but for, for the battle with Liverpool point to point until the last season. And on the previous one, of course, they won by a long distance. And then they had kind of a drop last season which I think it's it's natural because these teams they play in such a, a high level I mean drop in terms of points of course because uh, Liverpool did uh, an, an extraordinary season uh, but I'm very curious to see how Liverpool will keep reinventing them, themselves because um, every season Liverpool brought something new not in terms of style, because the style was always there, the ideas were always the same, but uh, when you see a team evolve like Liverpool did, they always brought something different in this evolvement process. So I don't know in, in which stage, what, what more they can do, especially with the, with the same players. 
Uh, maybe Thiago Alcântara could bring something different, but we don't know if that's going to happen. He could bring a different characteristic, at least to to the the midfield. But I'm expecting the young players as well to have more chances because um, they have been used uh, frequently last season, and this can bring uh, a little bit of fresh air to to this Liverpool. This can bring a little bit of a twist, maybe. It's a thought. So far, they've only added uh, Greek left-back Kostas Simikas. Uh, so, uh, Thiago, the, the, the big question mark there, as you say. When you look at competitors then, if you if you see Steonis maybe overtaking uh, the team from Anfield, uh, City, how fresh do you think they're going to be? Uh, a couple of reinforcements coming in for Antares, Nathan Aki. Daniel, is that enough? Uh, I don't think that is enough. I think they will want and I think probably will sign that, that defensive leader. Kalidou Koulibaly has been discussed pretty much since the middle of last season when it was clear that they needed that sort of defender and that sort of figure in, in the defence. Um, and yeah, I, the only caveat for me backing them to win the league is is that when we, I think when we said it before, they, they, I don't think, I might be wrong, but I don't think they've been knocked out of the Champions League at that point. And clearly that Champions League disappointment has re-energised that as a, as a priority. Um, but this is the first time since, since August 2017 that Guardiola has been under any sort of pressure, not for his job, but for his, for his kind of current reputation. I don't think his historic reputation is in doubt, but his current guys. And that, that will, will can kind of weigh heavy on him if they start badly again. I mean, last season, their title bid, albeit not in mathematical terms, but their title bid was basically done by the end of October. They need to start quicker. They need to stop being so psychologically weak when they can see goals early in the season because, um, yeah, if that really happens, then there will be serious pressure on Guardiola and he might have to pivot to the Champions League as the kind of reputation saver. Um, but I, I just think they'll be too strong if, if players stay fit. No Messi, of course, to aid in their, their various campaigns. Uh, Natalie, the United are shaking. They brought Van der Beek in. Uh, no Sancho yet. Uh, how confident are you that he will be there to fulfil your prediction of a United title? Yeah, well, I'm I'm really not sure about that. But uh, honestly, when I when I said that uh, United would be a title contenders, I'm not gonna take it back. But I thought I thought the transfer window was gonna go a little bit different for United. What were you expecting to happen, Natalie? I thought they would have more. Uh, big signings, even though uh, Van der Beek, I think it's it's a very good signing. I, I find it very curious that United chose to sign a, a central midfielder who comes from a team that really uh, likes possession, that, that really likes to play with the ball, because uh, we saw many United playing against uh, big teams, this high-profile matches and playing without the ball, playing without the possession. And Van der Beek can, can help uh, bring a little bit more from this. Uh, Bruno Fernandes all, uh, already did a very good job uh, in recreating Man United's uh, midfield. Uh, but if you have a midfield that has uh, Van der Beek, uh, Pogba, Bruno Fernandes, you're going to play with the ball. So I, I, I think uh, this season we can expect... Uh, this uh, switch from from Man United, maybe you know, like having more initiative, this light change in in the style of play that was already happening actually in the in the final part of the season. Chelsea, what about them? 
extraordinary transfer campaign. Here's that red-haired dude who says, how do you see Chelsea's forward line lining up ahead of the new season with the likes of Pulisic, Werner, Ziyech, Hudson-Odoi, Mount, Abraham, and now Havertz on the books? How do you fit all that together? And how big a test of Frank Lampard's managerial acumen is this? Well, there are no excuses now. Um, To answer the initial question, I I kind of feel like they will probably play with three of those four, three of Pulisic, Havertz, Werner and Ziyech. Uh, I think Lampard, because of why he was appointed, will still want to give Mason Mount as much football as he can, partly because he's a very good midfielder and partly because I think without him, there's a potential that Chelsea line up without any of those academy graduates. If, if Cesar Azpilicueta continues to play right back ahead of Rhys James, then that's kind of about it. But yeah, there are, there are no excuses. Uh, he has been given title-winning transfer spend, albeit overshadowing the, the transfer ban that, that they had previously. But yeah, he, he cannot be treated as Frank Lampard here to bring in the kids or Frank Lampard Chelsea here anymore. That might help him, but he has to do things on his own merit. And um, to my mind, that has to mean a serious title challenge. Mm. Is there a danger that Chelsea have done a Fulham uh, by bringing in so many players in an off-season that was so very, very short? Uh, will settled sides just fare better given the lack of a proper pre-season? It's awful that that became an expression, right? But, uh, uh, well, you, you can buy players, but you you have to make this into a team. But I think Lampard already overcame expectations. He already showed that he can build a team. He did this in the first season. So I really, I'm really curious actually to see Frank Lampard this season because we've seen his career as a manager in these first two two seasons. First at Derby and now, uh, and then at Chelsea, he reached a high, a, a new level. And now this season, of course, I'm expecting now for him to reach a higher level with very, uh, very good players. Of course, he had good players uh, last season, but this transfer window for Chelsea has been uh, outstanding. So I- I'm also curious to see how Frank Lampard will improve as a manager with the players that he has uh, now after this transfer window, you know, how he can create this team. Mm, me, me too. They were 33 points behind Liverpool last season. They also conceded more goals in the league than they had done for over 20 years. Part of their attempts to kind of remedy that, uh, uh, the signings of Ben Chilwell and uh, fresh-faced youngster Thiago Silva, Natalie, uh, who looked excellent in that little um, Champions League fortnight thing. But what can Chelsea fans expect over nine months? Well, he did a very good season uh, at PSG, now this last uh, season. Uh, Thiago wants to go to the World Cup. He wants to play in 2022 uh, for the Brazilian national team. It's a goal for him, and that's why he he chose to come to the Premier League, because he wants to be playing in high level. He didn't want to go back to Brazil. Uh, When you reach 35, uh, many players make this choice of going back to Brazil, finishing their careers there, but Thiago, he he really believes that he can play in a high level uh, and get picked for the national team to play in Qatar. 
he he's very committed uh he's very professional he's very committed to his fitness as well uh he has like in his home he has a machine to help him he recover uh he's very concerned about that and it's not easy uh to decide to come to the premier league when you're 35 if he made this decision he's very aware that he can play at a high level it's a very ambitious decision for a 35 year old uh i once spoke to a, a brazilian ex player uh that came to a big premier league club and he was 36 and he told me that sometimes he struggled to finish training sessions not only in the matches he said to me uh, that was very sad because it's so physical it's so demanding you really have to be at his at your peak and Thiago is very much aware of that so uh if he decides to come to Chelsea when he's 35 and he he looks at Qatar at uh 2022 as a as a goal, a serious goal, I think he can deliver not only one, but maybe two uh, good seasons for Chelsea, yes. Excellent. Nick, who have you got? Who was Natalie talking about? Hmm. Uh, so did they come? Did they come from another league to the Premier League when they were thirty-six, or did they? That's what I understood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, no. Natalie's I'm, young I'm, as well. I'm, I'm so gonna. <laughs> she can't be that old. He's he's googling. Yeah, I mean, I've just got a list of foreign Premier League players up now. So <laughs> I'm not going to say who he was. I, my guess would have been Mykon. Mykon, that's a great shout. Oh, yeah, but, but it's not him. Okay. Um, what also, what kind of machine <laughs> was it that uh, Thiago Silva has for recovering at home? Oh, it's it's a machine um, for, uh, in Portuguese, it's máquina de oxigenação. It helps the oxygen in the in the the body, so it helps you recover faster. There are a few players who have this machine uh, in their home because they're mm. very concerned about the the recovery part. You know. All right. Excellent. Okay. Well, that was the big question, wasn't it, about Chelsea? I guess you can easily construct a, a scenario in which Man United genuinely make a bid for the title, or Man City conquer the title again, or Liverpool repeat. But for Chelsea to retake that top step again it seems like the defense is the big question mark silver and ben chilwell and lampard as manager are you guys convinced not enormously um i mean the 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 most glaring weakness from last season was obviously in goal and they don't unless i've kind of missed something they don't even they don't seem to be particularly bothered about you know addressing that maybe they uh you know Kepa has come back and has looked dynamite in training or something, but um, it does seem slightly odd that uh, that they will they would have spent obviously all this money on their attack when their attack was all right last season, and um, they're still going in with this goalkeeper that was a bit of a disaster zone at some points last mm. season. Nick, you Cassandra, you uh, very good. Shortly, let's talk about the bold new looks across the capital at Arsenal and Spurs. All right, Dave, how goes the car sales industry? Good, yeah. Sold a car to Ed Woodward last week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a 20 grand car, but I said I'd sell it to him for 30, and he came back and said he'd give me 25 plus another 10 grand based on performance. Ah, the silly season is upon us. The transfer window. And Paddy Power have got odds on all the transfer rumours on our football specials page, whether it's Messi to Man City or Ronaldo to Bristol City. And if it's not there, just tweet us using the hashtag WhatOddsPaddy. Paddy Power. 18 plus begumbleware.org, T's and C's apply. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. It is a new season, listener. Spurs, of course, very much in the public eye already over the last few weeks, thanks to their um, fascinating fly-on-the-wall documentary. I must say, I wasn't quite as thrilled with it as, as some have been 
Um, I haven't got that far into it at the moment. I got a little bit, I ran into the kind of the wall that is Tom Hardy's uh, voiceover. And I, I did feel like if you're going to hire Tom Hardy, at least get him to do one of his voices. You know, do, you want to do Bane? As... I, essentially, the whole show with him going, it is a new season. Do you feel in charge? Or whatever. <laughs> Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, I would watch. But anyway, so on field, though, um, Josie's second season, that's when the good stuff happens, no? Yeah. Yeah, apparently. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I mean, the, the big worry with for Spurs is is the depth of the squad. Uh, I mean, I saw a tweet earlier, and if they get through in the, the Europa League, which I think they will, and the League Cup, which they probably should, they'll play nine games in the first 20 days of the season. And I mean, Harry Kane looks kind of half fit against Iceland for for most of the game on on Saturday I think so I just worry about that strength in depth they you know yes they've signed Pierre-Emil Hoberg as a midfielder to try and settle down that midfield area yes they've signed Matt Dotti I think it's a great signing but there's just not enough depth in in central defense at left back up front <sighs> Yeah, it's asking a lot. I think both Arsenal and Tottenham, and they won't forgive me for lumping them together, but they will both be happy with a pretty good shot at the top four. And, and if they missed out, it wouldn't be a disaster, I don't think, which is pretty sad to say about teams that were not that long ago comfortably expecting both. The good news is that both signings, they don't have... Uh, they have a good background with injuries. They're, they're players that don't don't get injured. So that's a good start for, for, for Spurs and for Spurs fans as well. And Doherty, for me, a great signing, one of the best signings uh, in this transfer window because it's in one position that Spurs really needed and he brings more attacking edge. I think he, he was the right back in the past Premier League, who had more touches in the opponent's box. He's a really good player. So, yeah, but maybe, yeah, they, they, I, I agree with Dan when he says that they, they need more depth in, in the squad, absolutely. It's kind of become their thing not to sign a striker. They haven't haven't done so, you know, despite Harry Kane having his kind of annual injury, which seems to rule them out for a longer and longer period every year. They just don't bother signing another striker. It's fine. It'll probably be fine. It'll work out. It'll be all right. Don't worry <laughs> Lucas about it. Lucas was the the last one, I think. Yeah, we and yeah. Uh, and it's and you know he's um, he has and can do a reasonable job as a striker, but it's not really his position. He's better used elsewhere. And uh, it, yeah. it is a it is a very tough sell to, to say to someone come to Spurs, sit on the bench for ninety percent of the season. But you know, you we, we've seen that Kane is out enough that they don't have to do that they can you know they can promise someone a little bit more um time up front so you know it, it seems strange that they, again that they just don't seem bothered about signing another striker mm. top six the target then is it i mean that they will presumably want to get into the top four but yeah top six more realistic i would have thought mm. the same's kind of true with arsenal as well in that the one glaring miss in their squad, I know they've signed Danny Ceballos again now, but is a chance creator. You look at their most prolific chance creators last season, it was Mesut Ozil and Nicola Pepe, and neither of them are guaranteed to start in the first-choice team, I don't think. And um, Ozil particularly is, is clearly looks like persona non grata for one reason or another. And it, it just feels like for everything that's moving forward at both Spurs and Arsenal. There's these kind of glaring gaps in the squad that every supporter can identify very quickly, but the club don't seem to be moving to solve. Mm. Uh, Arsenal covered quite extensively in our previous show on Wednesday, but FPL Doctor 
uh, has a long uh, shopping list of players they'd like uh, the panel to tell uh, them about, including uh, Gabriel Magaliaish. Uh, Natalie, you'd be well placed to r- reveal all about. <laughs> yes, I'll try. Actually, uh, Gabriel, uh, the Brazilians don't really know him because he's one of the the many Brazilian players who left the country in a very young age. He was only 19 when he left Avaí, uh, which is uh, not one of the main uh, teams in Brazil. They play the the top division, but they are not one of the main teams in Brazil. So we didn't see uh, much of Gabriel Magalhães. He only played one year professionally in Brazil. And uh but he is not like the modern defender uh as uh, you, you can say he, he's more old style in a way that like considering that his strengths uh, are more like one-on-one he's more physical he's good in the air he's very quick he's very strong but he's not outstanding playing from behind for example which I don't think it is necessarily a problem for Arsenal because they have other players to do this and I think they needed a defender who was more like a classical defender if you like we have to be aware that he's 22 as well. So he's going to make mistakes. He's going to learn with the league. He he played in France and he played one year as a professional in Brazil. So he has a lot of room for improvement. So I, I don't think he's the answer, the immediate answer to all Arsenal's problems. But he's a good alternative. And I think he can bring more stability to, to a team that struggled a lot defensively. I guess having David Luiz helps him as well to kind of bring him through, maybe replace him at some point, but kind of mentor him, I suppose. Mm. And William Saliba arriving now as well, and a plethora of of good keepers as well, unlike uh, some other London clubs behind them. That all looks a lot more um, solid for the first time in years. William, in the meantime, uh, after your your wonderful words there about Thiago Silva, what's his state of mind as he makes the move across town? Yeah, well, uh, there were a lot of factors for for William's move. Uh, of course, personal factors because he's very he and his family they're very adapted to London. They really like it here. So his agent uh, Kia has very strong uh, relationship with Arsenal. He knows Edu. He knows David Luiz since they were like kids. So, but in terms of his football, uh, well, he showed last season that he he's playing in a, a very high level. So he can play the big leagues. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that William is also looking towards the World Cup because uh, Titi really likes him, always showed that. He always uh, says great things about William, Titi, the, the national team's coach. And I think he, he showed Chelsea that he really wanted a longer contract because he really believes that he can play in a high level. So so I'm I'm pretty positive that William's going to do really well at Arsenal. I'd be surprised if he, he struggled at Arsenal, honestly. Mm. I think it looks like a good signing. And Arsenal in general, he naively adds, look, as I say, solid in a way that they maybe haven't done for a long time at the back, potentially in midfield. Your point's accepted, uh, Daniel, and particularly with with the manager under Hughes Tutelage, they have now picked up silverware and have suddenly started beating big teams on a regular basis. So, you know, I'm setting myself up for a huge disappointment with Arsenal because I'm I'm kind of all in on them at this start. That they, they just they look really exciting. I uh, you know people like um, Martinelli to come back. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Bukayo Saka. 
Um, I think if Kieran Tierney's fit for the whole season, he'll be really good as well. As Daniel mentioned, Danny Ceballos has come back. Um, but, you know, this is Arsenal, so, pff, you know, I can be as optimistic as I like about them. They'll just break my heart by December. Lads, it's Arsenal. OK, well, if they were to let their fans down and if there were to be a space for somebody to break in to the upper echelons as a big surprise, how about big spending Everton? Uh, Daniel, you said at the end of um, the last season on this podcast that they effectively needed a new midfield, a whole new midfield. Effectively, that's what they seem to be going out and buying at the moment with Alan and uh, Ducouré and, and above all, James Rodriguez. How exciting is that, J-Rod? at Goodison Park. Uh, well, let's dial up now Greg O'Keefe, Everton writer for The Athletic, to find out how excited he is. Greg, thanks for joining us. So, well, first off, James Rodriguez, golden boot winner at the 2014 World Cup, 18 starts in the last two seasons. <laughs> is he going to reignite Goodison? Is, is Goodison going to reignite him? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the question, isn't it? I think what Everton are banking on is this relationship he, he clearly has with Ancelotti, uh, sort of father-son dynamic, so I'm told. And if that is, let's let's be honest, that's the reason why he's on Merseyside now. It's the reason why he's he's very much on the brink of joining Everton. It's not because he's got a burning desire to play for a club that finished 12th in the Premier League and isn't in Europe this season. It's all about the relationship he has with Carlo. And uh, it's a gamble for him. It's a, it's a gamble for Everton because, you know, yes, they've spent a lot of money. And they're already in a situation where they're kind of rubbing up against the sort of uh, the edges of financial fair play. So it's it's it, it's a big it's a big roll of the dice. Um, if they can get the player that was you know obviously the 2014 <laughs> James Rodriguez would be unbelievable. But his first season at Real Madrid, you know, scored a lot of goals, a lot of assists. Looked like he was going to really continue that World Cup form, and then it, it's been a case of dwindling returns since then, hasn't it? You know, slight ups and downs. Looked all right uh, for a short period at Bayern under Ancelotti again. If he can get him back to his best, it's going to be a fantastic signing. Obviously, it might take a, a while to kind of adapt to the Premier League. Um, but Ancelotti must think he can. And, and, you know, I hear contrasting things about about Rodriguez and his kind of work, creating ability to track back or desire to track back. Well, I've read Ancelotti saying that that was one thing he really pleased him about when he when he managed him in that in, at the Bernabeu was that desire and that attitude. Um, he's going to have to get that out of him as well because you know, he's not going to be afforded the luxury of just being able to play right on the heel of, of, of the opposition fullback. He's going to have to come back and help out, say, Seamus Coleman or John Joe Kenny. So it's going to be really interesting, isn't it? And um, But it's certainly a very, arguably one of the biggest signings Everton have made in, in the Premier League, for Everton in the Premier League era. Mm. And, a, and a couple of new teammates alongside him. So a brand new midfield. How... How convinced are you by then you look? And haven't they kind of done this before in terms of spending vast amounts on, on players that supposedly would transform their, you know, their <laughs> whole kind of uh, engine room? Yeah, they have, haven't they? I mean, it was the summer when they bought three number 10s, um, the sort of first summer of kind of any manager being able to really let rip with uh, Fahad Mishiri's fortune when they brought in Sigurdsson, Klaassen and Sandro Ramirez and Wayne Rooney as well, obviously. Um but look, anyone who's watched Everton last season, it didn't take a, a, a football data analyst whiz kid to see the midfield was terrible. It was piled up if you could play right through it. It didn't serve a purpose, particularly going forward, nor was it did it provide an adequate shield for the back four. And if you look at the players that have come in or on the brink of coming in, 
Alan had been described to me as at his best as a ball winning machine. You know, someone who is going to really provide that screen for the back four and that tenacity and that competitive spirit and you know something they've lacked since Idrissa Gay went to Paris Saint Germain. So that's crucial. He can play a bit as well, I'm told. So you know he can get the ball and give it to players around him like Andre Gomez, who's you know got some qualities that might be important going forward. And then Decore, who's a bit of box to box midfielder, can get can get forward, can help with the transition into attack, and get the ball again to players like Rodriguez and to to Richarlison. And um, I actually feel more excited about seeing Decore and Allen bed in than I do in some ways Rodriguez, um, as contrary as that sounds, because you know performances at Wolves and Chelsea last season, I think it was 4-0 and 3-0 respectively. Everton's midfield was dire and um, it just wasn't sustainable. You know, There was absolutely no way they could have started this season with any ambitions if they were trying to play Tom Davies, Gilfie Sigurdsson and Andre Gomez. wasn't fit for purpose. So that's, that was absolutely key that they did that and Ancelotti was you know, clearly going to target that from day one. Don't forget he wanted uh, Pierre-Emile Huyberg before he ended up going to Tottenham. So um, that was his priority and uh, he's got it now. And I remember John Philippe Gabamon as well, who they signed last summer, has barely kicked the ball, but you know is hoping to be fit at some point yeah, before we get in, into winter. So there are going to be more options and hopefully a lot more, like I say, a lot more tenacity and, and fight in that midfield. They won't be overwhelmed by teams with sort of quick uh, attacking players. So what's still between uh, them and planning some open top bus parades, do you think? <sighs> well, you know, they really do need to, as much as you know, you could say this for every club outside the sort of the top five or six. They really do need to get serious about targeting the League Cup, about the FA Cup. I've my bugbear for a long time has been Everton's inability to to mount a serious uh, Carabao Cup or whatever iteration it is of the League Cup uh, challenge. Because I feel a club that's not won a trophy since 1995, a club better than size, sometimes just needs one to get it going and. You know, it's just been absolutely pitiful, the record in the League Cup. They've never won it in their history. But uh, certainly in recent seasons, they've never looked like even getting into the business end. And um, they need to do that. They really, really need to do that. You know, forget about Liverpool. Too often, the, the dynamic is comparing themselves to Liverpool. Everton are light years away from Liverpool at the moment. As much as Farhad Mashiri, you know, wants to, to reduce that gap. Uh, but it's got to be small steps. And like you say, uh, a bus tour of of any type or any addition to the trophy cabinet at Goodison is just huge. Last time they came close with Roberto Martinez, got to the semi-final. Um, and then since then, it's just been one embarrassing defeat by a lower, a lower league side after another, really. So I would expect that. And, you know, after all, Ancelotti is the, is the cup manager, isn't he? So um, let's see. Let's see if they can give that a serious crack this season. Greg O'Keefe, Everton writer for The Athletic. Natalie? Uh, yes, well, uh, one of the arrivals, Alan, uh, just out of curiosity, he's been he's been called up for the national team uh, ever since after the World Cup in Russia in 2018. And the first time uh, Titi uh, called uh, Alan, he said that he had uh, small wheels in his feet because he's very fast. He has a lot of mobility. And uh, just a curiosity about him, he's very good friends with Felipe Coutinho because they played together for Vasco when they were very, very young. So maybe he gave Coutinho a call to ask about the Premier League and all his experience but the truth is that they're very close. They already played uh, together in the national team and they're very good friends. Okay, that's nice. Uh, by the way, uh, 
James Rodriguez, who was signed, as Greg was mentioning, by Carlo Ancelotti at both Real Madrid and Bayern Munich and has now followed him to Everton. Harry Redknapp's infamous for it over here. But the funny thing is he's actually by no means the worst. He's he's had the likes of Cranshaw, um, Jermaine Defoe and, and Peter Crouch three times. But the record... Do you know who the, 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 the record holder, at least according to our, our, our <laughs> list here? No, I don't. Who is it? Daniel, have you got... Uh, I've got Peter Taylor here, who signed Junior Lewis six times. Yeah, six times. That's good, isn't it? Neil Warnock had Paddy Kenny five times. And as you, as you yourself will know, John McGovern played under Brian Clough at four different clubs. So, yeah. I, it's always nice when it's a, a family member like uh, Paul Sturrock, who had his son Blair four times. <laughs> and I think I'm right in saying that Steve Bruce has had Alex Bruce along for the ride on, at various different locales along his CV. Nice, keeping in the family. Yeah. I would have an, an honourable or dishonourable mention for Willie Mackay's two sons. Um, the football agent, Willie Mackay, whose sons were signed by... Well, they, they went to Doncaster where he had connections and played four games in total. And then they went to Leeds where he had connections and played no games in total. And then went to Cardiff where he had connections and played no games in total. But I like the fact they both went together at exactly the same time. And it just... Just never play, which is which is definitely absolutely fine. <laughs> That's extraordinary. What a remarkable yeah. career. Uh, very good. Now, um, we've got some important Wolves transfer talk to do. We could also mention Leicester and, and see if there's any other clubs you think might be figuring strongly or being a, a massive disappointment uh, in terms of the top off when the new season gets underway. Let's do that next. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Wolves. Uh, on Saturday, the club announced a record signing of Porto striker uh, Fabio Silva for £35 million. Michael Cox tweeting, this is officially the highest fee paid ever for a player I hadn't heard of. Uh, has, had any of you heard of Fabio Silva before this? No. Tom Kundert, who, who does Portuguese football, uh, it was very excited about the news. He says he's going to be really good. I think he only had three goals last season for the senior side, but has apparently been tearing it up on a, a under-18 level. Um, so one to watch, Fabio Silva. And there's also, I think, been some heartbreaking transfer news. Is that right, Daniel? Yes, they've, um, they have signed um, Marc from uh, Lyon, who is a Brazilian defender. So I'm glad you came to me for the definitive word on on him <laughs> feel free Daniel really <laughs> <laughs> so given the thinness of their squad and the fact that they've lost Matt Doherty that that's probably good news but Wolves who just missed out on a European place of course last season Leicester who had that huge second half of the season collapse and just missed out on a Champions League place how do you figure they're going to do this time around Saints do you think maybe they can continue their very decent second half of the season. Burnley, Sheffield United, will we see them in the top half again? And who do you think might be a big flop among the big clubs? Um, well, uh, I think in terms of teams, um, maybe slightly unexpected teams finishing the top half, for some reason I would quite like the look of Crystal Palace if they sign a kind of proper striker. I think they've been linked with um, Odson Edouard from uh, Celtic, who is um, extremely highly rated in, in Scotland. Um, and a, a huge fan of Abereze. Uh, I think he's going to be he's going to be excellent. So um, you know this this could look extremely foolish in a few months' time. And in terms of 
big teams flopping. Well, I mean, I, I know I said I was all in on Arsenal, but I do know their um, their flamboyant capacity for disappointment. So I'll say I'll say they are both my big hopes and my big predictions to do nothing as well. I think Leeds might be my my outside shot at a, a top half finish. I think they're about the same odds as Southampton to do it, and. Um, I mean, I think they are one of, if not the most fascinating story that I, I know for some fans might get old quite quickly because there is a, a tendency with Marcelo Bielsa to kind of go all in on him and create a huge media storm that becomes slightly all-encompassing, particularly when everything's televised 24 hours a day. But yeah, I think it will be fascinating to see how they get on, particularly with the the higher class of signings that they've approached and, and managed to get over the line than I thought they would. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see how that that style gets on over another busy season. I mean, I know they have eight fewer league games, but they were absolutely shattered at the end of 2018-19. They were pretty shattered at the end of 1920, and it's going to be really interesting to see how they cope with the Premier League. I think. Yeah, I, I'm going for Leeds as well, and I'm, I'm and I'm thinking slash hoping uh, because I'm a huge Bielsa fan. I really want him to to do well in the Premier League, and I'm very interested to to see how his style and his behavior and his his he's so anti uh, big media. You know, he's he's the anti guy for all this uh, superstar profile. And now he's in the premier league. That is the, the, the biggest, uh, league in the world. So it's, it's going to be very interesting, I think. So I, I'm hoping for leads and, uh, and yeah, I, I'm a little bit concerned about Leicester actually, because, uh, last season they showed that they need more depth in their squad, especially now that they have, uh, the Europa league as well. Uh, and they had so many problems with um, with injuries, uh, and they lost key players. So I, I'm not sure how they will cope with uh, both competitions if they have uh, injury problems, which basically every team has. So, so yeah, I'm not sure. I'm I'm a bit concerned about Leicester. All right, well, much more discussion on the Premier League season to come and, of course, the opening weekend when we return in Thursday's edition. But next up today, it's Welcome Back International Football. We've missed you. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. If you're not yet a subscriber, take out a 30-day trial right now by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Here goes Sterling. And he rolls it in. And England will surely win in Reykjavik here. It's been a struggle, but in the end, a successful one. That's right, the Nations League is back and expanded to help fill the current paucity of fixtures. Natalie, do you like the Nations League? It's growing in me. Is it? <laughs> yes. Right. Yes, I'm still getting used to it, honestly. Okay. It's yeah. literally growing because they've now got um, groups of four. There's extra <laughs> teams in it. So all the teams that should have been relegated at the end of the last uh, Nations League campaign, like Germany and Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland... Uh, all weren't. They actually stayed in their respective leagues, the strata that they were in. Fixtures run for the next three months. 
Uh, England are in the top league, League A, with Belgium, Denmark and Iceland in their group. The other British and Irish teams are in League B. Nick, as you probably know, the Scots have Israel, Slovakia and the Czechs Ooh, in their group. Northern Ireland have Romania, Norway and Austria. Wales and uh, Republic of Ireland are in a group with Finland, Bulgaria and Gareth Bale's hair, which is probably applying for stateship uh, e- even as we speak. Um, England, I mentioned, with Iceland, and, and they played on Saturday. Did you watch? Yes, I watched, yeah. What did um, you think, Daniel? I mean, it was it was played at, at pre-season friendly pace, it should be said, but that's because it's being played in, in pre-season. I think one of, very briefly to say, one of the things that some people might not have realised about this season that is going to anger club managers is that in the international breaks we have England and other countries are going to play three games, not two. So they're going to play three games in the week and then come back to their clubs and carry on at that hectic pace, which is going to be astonishing, quite frankly. But So they have I, Denmark on Tuesday? Yeah, so but, so for example, in the in the October break, England are playing Wales, Belgium and Denmark in, in that week-long seven-day period, um, which is, quite frankly, is nonsense. Um, but that's how, that's how the calendar lies. So, um, But yeah, sorry, to bring it back to... No, no, I mean, it's a, it, it, you could, I mean, you could probably make a case, not in any way wishing to suggest they should get rid of international football, but given that the Nations League is a competition that's only just been invented in the first place, and given the unique and remarkable demands on footballers in this current season, maybe there's a case for saying, we'll give this one a buy and come back next time. Well, the, the unfathomable thing to me is that the first of England's three games in October in the October break is a friendly against Wales. Um, that really seems superfluous. I think that kind of feels like a practical joke at the expense of club managers to to have three games in those six days and one of them not even be competitive. But yeah, um, England-wise, it was as I say, it was played at half pace. I thought Raheem Sterling was was England's best player and most importantly was the one still making darting runs until the 90th minute plus, which ultimately I suppose kind of proved the difference. Although it was a farcical last three minutes of the game. Tell us why, Daniel. Uh, well, because England were given a penalty. That I, I mean, it was England being given a penalty, so there wasn't a lot of talk about it, but it was farcical for my mind. Right. But ha- having said that, I mean, there was no VAR in this game, which is an ardent critic of VAR. It was quite an interesting watch, this. England had a goal disallowed that was perfectly valid back in the sixth minute when Harry Kane tucked away a, 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 a chance. And uh, then that was called back for an inexistent offside. So swings and roundabouts. But sorry, back to you. Yeah, so England England won a penalty through a well, to my mind was an unfair handball because it was very close to him and he didn't you know he didn't really have his arms hugely outstretched. Raheem Sterling scored that with a kind of P roll Penenka in that he shaped to hit it hard and just rolled it down the centre of the goal. Joe Gomez then gives away a penalty and, and man of the match, James Ward Prowse scuffs up the penalty spot before uh Bjarnason steps up to take the penalty and he then Chris Waddles it over the bar and um, yeah, England earn a win that nobody particularly seemed to care about. Phil Foden got his first start. All right, then. Um, <laughs> well, there'll be more of that then to come as the Nations League continues. England will be playing Denmark, who were beaten by Belgium 2 0. Uh, they'll be playing the Danes on Tuesday. Probably worth mentioning just a couple of other results. We'll do a bit more of a Nations League roundup in Tuesday's European flavoured totally football show but Spain and Germany had a 1-1 draw in which David De Gea was man of the match uh, Portugal who were without Cristiano Ronaldo because of a toe infection 
uh, didn't seem to mind. They put four past Croatia in a mighty 4-1 thumping. They hit the they hit the frame of the goal three times before they even opened the scoring. And then Jacques Cancelo got the uh, the opener for them. And they looked pretty sensational. What did what did Wales and Bulgaria do meantime this Sunday afternoon? Uh, Wales won one nil. A very late goal from. Nico Williams, very promising Liverpool fullback who scored a uh, header in the very last minute, and it was um, the nice thing about Wales is that they uh, they obviously have this very tight knit group, so they're always they always look absolutely delighted for their friends when um, one of them scores a goal, but particularly when it was this kind of kid who hasn't really played very much in the Liverpool first team as yet, although I suspect he will do. Um, and uh, yeah, he got the late winner for them, two wins in two games for them. Um, and, uh, yeah, didn't even have to use Gareth Bale for all of them. That's good. Very nice, Nick. They and England, the only two of those uh, home nations and Ireland sides who actually got a win in this opening round of fixtures. Uh, Brazil aren't doing any international football at the moment, are they, Natalie? They've got World Cup qualifiers next month? Yes. Well, not for now, but, well, Brazilian football is still trying to be... Uh, organized in a minimum way <laughs> because well because for everything that's been happening in the country with the pandemic things are aren't looking good now but yeah looking forward to the I I love qualifying uh, the the South American qualifying they're ve- they're always very exciting to 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 right. watch and to follow because there's ten teams and half yeah. of them go through so the nerve wracking <laughs> stuff for Brazil. <laughs> But there's always a surprise. There's always a team that overcome expectations. And the, the the matches are really good. Like you have great teams facing each other and really going for it. So I like it. Yeah, everybody likes it. It's a big thing in Brazil. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, still to come in today's show, uh, we're going to be hearing about Leo Messi and uh, his decision to not do one. And one or two other things besides. Before that, though, let's get some odds from Lee Price. Hello, yes, round two of Nations League fire coming up. It's almost a shame the Premier League has to interrupt. Almost. England are odds on to win in Denmark and complete a Scandi double, something I'm quite partial to myself. Gareth Southgate's men priced at 8 to 11, the draws 13 to 5, and Denmark are worryingly lengthy 16 to 5. Before that, Northern Ireland hosts Norway, with both teams needing to bounce back from underwhelming results. The hosts are 23 to 10 to win this one, making them second favourites, with Norway getting the Paddy Power seal of approval, sorry guys, at 11 to 8. Unfortunately, I'm a man entirely bereft of imagination, so here comes yet more chat about Erling Haaland. The scariest man-child on the planet is 17 to 10 to score in this one. I wouldn't bet against him. And a quick mention for Holland versus Italy. We fancy a Dutch victory, no euphemism, I don't think, at 6-5, to five, with Italy's Bosnian stalemate seeing them drift to 23-10 to 10 to win this one. When it's tough to call a winner, I default to the draw, which is priced at 11-5 to five in this instance. All the best. See you tomorrow some more red-hot number wang. Ta-ra. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. A long list of shows that are coming out of Totally in the days to come. There's the Totally Football League show returning on Monday. It's a new slot for this season. Talking about a new championship, League One, League Two campaigns, which will get underway this uh, coming weekend. The WSL is already back and the offside rule has got you covered for that with the offside rule WSL edition curiously enough that's out on Tuesday as is the totally Scottish football show because they're back at work 
in Fitbar land. A Totally Football Show European edition will be out on Tuesday as well, in which we'll have Horney, Raphael, Jules and Alvaro discussing all the big issues. But uh, here already today, to give us a heads up on the, the biggest issue of all, Leo Messi deciding that 700 million wasn't going to be forthcoming and a court case was too painful to consider and returning uh, to uh, Barcelona. He'll be back at training once his COVID-19 tests are successfully undertaken. Uh, To give us a quick idea on how this leaves things now in the Catalan capital, here is Alvaro Romeo. Alvaro, thanks for joining us. Uh, You're going to be with us on the Euro show on Tuesday, but... This is kind of too big to wait. So I see that Jorge Valdano in El País has said there's only one thing worse than Messi leaving, and that's Messi staying in these conditions. So not good news then for Barcelona this season. Mm, well, it's never nice when a player stays, uh, but he doesn't He doesn't want to. But I believe that Lionel Messi can uh, use this opportunity to be really professional and to prove himself that he's still the best player in the world and the worthy Ballon d'Or winner in 2019. So hopefully he will channel his anger uh, the right way. But uh, there are a few conclusions here, James, if I may. Number one is that he has been very badly assessed because a week ago he thought that he could live for free. And the truth is that uh, once he started like facing the facts, uh, he got to uh, use the handbrake and stop that exit. And um, number two, that Messi still has a lot of power despite uh, the latest events. I mean, no player can afford saying what he said about Bartomeu, that the club has no project at all, and still come out not as a winner, but definitely as a player of the club that won't get any punishment for that. There have been some comparisons drawn with Michael Jordan's a goodbye season at the Chicago Bulls and how he and Scottie Pippen turned that around in the uh, wonderful documentary The Last Dance. Do you see uh, the ingredients for a similar success story in Catalonia? Mm, I don't think so because... uh... Chicago Bulls had uh, Phil Jackson as a manager and Barcelona has Ronald Koeman and no disrespect to Ronald Koeman at all, but uh, he's a new manager uh, that doesn't know Messi and the rest of the players and uh, he's a manager that uh, he is making some decisions that have been driven by the board, like for example not keeping Luis Suarez, a striker that I believe that Ronald Koeman wouldn't mind keeping so I think that uh, Koeman's position is difficult and uh, this is not very similar to Michael Jordan's last dance. At the same time, Lionel Messi last season he was playing really well but at the same time you could see that he needed the team more than ever and uh, Barcelona has been so disastrous over the last uh, five years when it comes to signing that they they haven't surrounded uh, Messi with the right players for him to sign uh, in the last uh, years of his career. Any idea on why Leo Messi has been so badly advised uh, that he thought he could leave that he thought the date that he gave his notice in was valid etc.? I think that he has chosen the the wrong assessment over his career. I don't know exactly why. Uh, Jorge Messi, his father, uh, was wrong when um, in 2014 it all exploded for him and uh, uh, we got to know that Messi had been uh, trying to avoid the Spanish taxes and it happened again. I mean, uh, this time uh, Lionel Messi and the family trusted on a, a law firm called Cuatre Casas Film, which is the one that assesses Barcelona as well. But uh, yeah, they got the wrong assessment, unfortunately for them, because uh, they thought that uh, exiting Barcelona was going to be easier, but it wasn't at the end. So I don't know why they have done so many bad choices, but the fact is that they had, yes. Okay. And this will be just one last year, or do you think there's a potential that maybe if things at board level have changed that he'll just end up kicking on from here? 
let's see how it goes, okay? Because uh, in the interview to Messi, there was something that uh, went a little bit unnoticed, but uh, I find very remarkable. He admitted that last season was very difficult personally, that he suffered a lot in the training sessions, in the games, and in the locker room. I don't know what that means exactly, but uh, we do know that probably Arturo Vidal and Luis Suárez, two of uh, the best friends of Messi, are living Barcelona. So maybe this time Messi is going to be more lonely than ever. And at the same time, there hasn't been a strong message from his teammates asking him to stay or any social media post by players in general. So I believe that this time Lionel Messi can be a little bit alone uh, at Barcelona and uh, let's see how it goes. If he likes Ronald Koeman, if he's got a good feeling with him and uh, let's see especially how he feels uh, playing with uh, some players who are still yet to prove themselves. The likes of Dembélé, the likes of Ansu Fati, maybe Pjanic at Barcelona. Let's see how he does. So I think this is a, a good situation for Messi in a way because he knows that he's free to negotiate in January, no matter what. And then in January, he will make a choice. Let's see if he likes how Kuman plays. And this is the important thing now. Now he's got four months to decide. And uh, I believe that these four months are going to be totally crucial. Wow. Excellent. Well, there's loads more questions we could ask about Leo and the whole Liga restart. But let's save those for Tuesday's Euro edition of the Totally Football Show. Alvaro, look forward to speaking to you then. I'll be there. Thank you. Matt Pomroy says, How will Messi try and style it out as he walks back into training? Pretend like it never happened? Question mark. George Costanza style. Just yes. scroll back in. <laughs> the thing is, without being in any way serious about the answer, he, he has enough kudos at Barcelona that he can effectively do whatever he wants. So... Um, the interesting thing is that he's going to be, it sounds like as of today, he's going to be walking into a dressing room with no Luis Suarez. It looks like his deal to Juventus has been done. Um, so if anything, there's going to be even more responsibility on, on Messi to, you know, sing the theme tune, write the theme tune, which is, yeah, it will be a fascinating watch, but probably be a disastrous one. Mm. He's messy. He's gonna do. He's gonna do. He's gonna do his thing in Barcelona. He's gonna go back in training and he's gonna uh, train really well. And everybody's gonna forget about this in like three or four months, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. less. I think like three good matches from Messi, and we'll we'll not be talking about it anymore. But don't you think that that now that the kind of the Messi at another club idea is kind of out of the Pandora's box and in everybody's imagination. It's going to be the big transfer story kind of every day from now till the day he finally leaves. Yeah, I hope I hope he just signs a deal to leave on January the 1st and just we have no more saga because it was amazing how much nonsense we got packed into one, one <laughs> fortnight. Yeah, but there are elections on April, so I, I don't know if, if he's going to sign a new deal in, in January. Yeah, let's see. More messy chat, undoubtedly, on Tuesday. Nick, you don't want to leave things today without mentioning Gibraltar San Marino. No, from um, Lionel Messi to Gibraltar versus San Marino. Obviously, uh, Adam Hurry went quite big on this on uh, the show last week, so it only, feels only right that we keep everyone updated as to how that big clash went. Uh, it was 1-0 to Gibraltar, who currently sit astride top of League D Group 2 in the Nations League. Forty uh, second minute goal from Graham Taria, uh, which um, you know, obviously everyone already knew, but uh, just thought I'd keep you everyone posted anyway. All right, uh, you know, we we were being a little bit 
churlish about the Nation League blocking up the, the calendar. But Goal Scorer Challenge tweeted in actually and said the best thing about Nations League is is teams like Faroe Islands or in, in your case Gibraltar getting more opportunities against similar opposition for moments like this. And, and he's basically retweeting a a pretty wonderful uh, last minute winning game winning free kick by Brando Henriksen of the Faroe Islands against Malta at which the Faroe Islands go collectively you know they lose their collective business the Faroes also won a game which is the the first time in nearly 25 years that they've won consecutive competitive games which kind of hammers home the point about them playing countries uh, puts on Andy Townsend voice in and around them um, for something more than regulation drubbings against bigger and better teams i'm against pre-qualifying but this is a really nice happy medium i think it's also i mean at the risk of being enormously patronizing like, like we were saying about the wales players celebrating their teammates goals at rosley there is something sort of innocent and pure about how players in the minnow style teams celebrate goals like this it really warms the heart and if they continue winning like this the pharaohs could be moving up the pyramid you know? There you go. There you go. Uh, anyway, uh, so apparently that's it for today's Totally Football Show. Listen, thank you so much for uh, being with us all the way to the end. Uh, we'll return in various shapes, forms and guises over the next few days. Uh, but many thanks uh, to Nick, Daniel and Natalie for being in this Totally Show. And have yourselves all a great week. Until we speak again, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.